0: Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. I felt to continue this theme of light and darkness. It wasn't a planned series, but it's turning out that way. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. From this passage, not just these two verses, and from other scriptures, I want to speak to you on the theme of defeating darkness. Defeating darkness. God bless you. Please be seated. On Sunday, August 14th, I spoke on the theme of, let there be light from Genesis chapter one and other passages of scripture. When I look back, I think I may have referred to over 50 verses of scripture in that message and either just a reference to it or quoting or reading it. But Paul said, if our gospel be hid, it is said to them that are lost, and in the God of this world is blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in him. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. I thank God that we are not living in darkness. We are living in light. Amen. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ has shined to us. And we have been brought out of darkness and into marvelous light. Last Wednesday night, I I spoke on the theme, You are the light of the world. From the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Verses 14 through 16. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the theme of last Wednesday night was to live in such a way that others can see the change in your life that you are light in a dark world. Don't hide from the dark. God never intended for us to be put out of sight, but in a bright, shining place like a city set on a hill, like a light on a lampstand. And then we recognize that light cannot fellowship with darkness. They, they're they opposites, and they cannot get along. 1 Peter 2 and 9, on the screens, I concluded with this last Wednesday night, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a called out people, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I wanna just make one reference to this this verse, that to show forth praises, in this context is by our life. But when we say words of praise, When we speak words of praise to God, we are vocalizing the light that is in us to the world. So when we come to church or when we are worshiping at home, when we're listening to music that is not dark music, but is music of the light, we can show forth praises. We can be a demonstration of light to the world. Ephesians five, which was the primary passage of our study last week, I spoke about this, that in the past, Paul said, you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he applies it for the fruit of the Spirit, or fruit of this light in you, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. So I want to first talk about, we're talking about defeating darkness But I want to define darkness biblically. Some of these passages I've used before, some not. There are so many passages in the Bible about light and darkness. But I want to define darkness biblically. I will not read all these verses on the screen. But I'll refer to them and give you the reference if you're taking notes. First of all, on the screen, darkness is evil. These are the words of Jesus. I'm starting in John 3.16 because most of us know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, the new King James, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's no other way for anyone to ever be saved from hell than through Jesus Christ by his sacrifice on the cross and by applying it to our lives by obeying Acts two thirty eight. And here's verse 19. And this is the condemnation. What is it that condemns people of their sins? That light Has come into the world. Now we know Jesus Christ was light. And he was the light of men. He was life and the light of men. He said he's the light of the world. I talked about that last week. He was the light of the world. And then he told us we are the light of the world. Right? But here is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. And men, people, love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Now, I don't think I have to prove this scripturally, but we stand on the word of God. And darkness, biblically and spiritually, is evil. And Jesus said that condemnation comes to people because they will not come to the light, because their deeds are evil, and they want to stay in darkness. They do not want to come to the light. And then he explains this in verse 20. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Now I know that there are a lot of really nice people in the world and there are a lot of people who love the Lord in some measure. Many of them might have a a more committed or disciplined devotional life than some of us. They may not be walking in all truth like Apollos had to be shown more truth Sincerity without truth will not save you. It takes sincerity and truth. You have to have truth and walk in it in sincerity. And the, probably the darkest you know lives of people are people who are religious in word and name but they're hypocrites and they live a dark sinfully dark lives. Anyway, Jesus said they don't want to come to the light. Because if they come to the light, their deeds are going to be exposed. That light of truth is going to convict them of their sins. And so they want to stay in darkness. So while there's a lot of nice people in the world, there's a lot of people in our world that intentionally live in darkness. They love darkness because their deeds are evil. And they are enemies of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you go to work and school and wherever you go in the world and your testimony, amen, that's what I talked about last week, you're the light of the world. Your testimony is light to them. But if they choose darkness rather than light, if they're not drawn to the light because of your testimony, then they may hate you, they may run from you, they may try to make you feel like you're there's something wrong with you, Because you're living in light, living in godliness, and they love their darkness. So Jesus said, everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light. Now, so darkness is, first of all, evil. Secondly, and there's not necessarily a list, but darkness is the kingdom of Satan. When Paul spoke of his conversion in Acts 28, 18... He spoke of his mission to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. So we know he's the prince and power of the air. He is sentenced and will eventually spend eternity in a lake of fire and out of outer darkness. But he is this prince of this kingdom of darkness. According to Colossians 1.13, God delivered us from the power of darkness. So the darkness of sin has power. It has power to addict. It has power to hold captive. It has power to blind. Sin is darkness, and darkness, according to Colossians 1.13, has power. According to Ephesians 6 and 12, the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places, darkness refers to a kingdom. Darkness is something that we don't want anything to do with. Darkness is a terrible thing. And so my iPad just jumped to an unknown location. And so if you'll give me one minute. Church is not over, unfortunately, for some. Darkness is a power. Darkness is spiritual, Ephesians 6 and 12. Darkness is evil. I've already referred to John 3, 19, that men love darkness rather than light because their, their deeds are evil. So darkness is evil. And then, according to John three nineteen, the same passage, darkness is demonstrated in deeds, in things that people do. It is a condition of a heart, a darkened heart. Their foolish heart was darkened. If you remember that from Romans chapter 1, because they rejected truth, so darkness is demonstrated by deeds. This is also found in Romans 13, 12, that we should cast off the works of darkness. <clears throat> Ephesians five eleven refers to the unfruitful works of darkness. And then darkness is hatred. And I wanna take a moment just to read this verse or two or three, because people that are religious but have hatred in their hearts have darkness in their lives. 1 John 2.9. 1 John 2.9. He who says he is in the light, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and hates his brother, or his sister, or her sister, is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Amen. The Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness. Amen. All the way from the very first sons of Adam and Eve, murder, hatred, part of the human race. Sometimes we have to allow trust to be proven and earned, but forgiveness should always be instantaneous. Amen. Darkness, according to the Bible, is a way of life. John 8 and 12 it talks about people walking in darkness. So it's not just an act, but it is a way of life. John 12 and 46 You abide in darkness, the Bible says. And then, according to 2 Corinthians 6.14, we're told by the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And he talks about this fellowship, not just common ground, but close fellowship where This becomes a person you're in a partnership with, a marriage with, a a choice of a relationship that doesn't have an equal yoke. You're not on the same spiritual page. And he says, what communion has light with darkness? There is a relationship that is improper when it is an unbeliever and a believer. Darkness, according to this verse, can be people, people that live in darkness, choose darkness And we should not choose them to be our close friends. Second Corinthians 617. I should have put this verse on the screen. Wherefore, this is the same passage. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, I want to read through a passage, 1 Thessalonians believe it or not, I'm kind of hurrying through this section of my notes because I want to just establish what darkness is. It's a kingdom. It's a power. Their actions, sometimes it's manifest in people. It's evil deeds. All of that is part of darkness that we're to defeat in our lives. First Thessalonians five and two. Now, this passage is talking about the coming of the Lord It's talking about living in light or living in darkness and people who live in the light should not be caught off guard by the coming of the Lord. I don't believe we'll know when he comes, but we should not be caught off guard, which is to say living an unrepentant life and a life that is not an overcoming life. So here's what Paul says, First Thessalonians 5, two. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. They're gonna be caught off guard by the coming of the Lord. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. There's several biblical references to the idea of a thief coming at night when you're not watching, when you're not looking, Because he wants to sneak into your life. But Paul says, we are not in darkness, that the coming of the Lord should come on us and catch us unprepared. You, verse 5, are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. Let's not go to spiritual sleep. Let's not be asleep at the wheel of life and not aware of our times, aware of the coming of the Lord, aware of the darkness of our world. We need to be awake, he says. Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a an helmet, the hope of salvation for God had not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Whether we're alive when the Lord comes back or we've already passed away, death And the coming of the Lord should not catch us off guard or spiritually asleep or unprepared. Amen. So we should not live our lives hoping that we're going to get a last minute death, dead repentance. There was a thief on the cross who is granted paradise as he was dying. We believe that God can save anyone. We're not the savior. He is. We don't choose who he saves. He does. But we know too much to live like that. This is not about just fire insurance. It is about a relationship. It is about living in the light and walking in the light. And our lifestyle is one of light and not darkness. There's not hidden agendas and hidden deeds and some dark places in our life that are hidden away. We are not of the darkness. Amen. And we should defeat the darkness in our life. Darkness is going to be punished. There are several verses of this, and like I've previously done, I'm just going to kind of walk through these quickly. But Amos said that the day of the Lord is darkness, and it is not light. He said it is a day of darkness, even very dark. I don't know what very dark is, but, you know, it's dark, and then sometimes it's very dark. And Amos said it is going to be very dark, and no brightness in it. The Bible, when they rejected the Lord, Matthew 8 and 12, Jesus said they're going to be cast into outer darkness where there are this weeping and gnashing of teeth. The invited guest had no wedding garment on. He's cast into outer darkness. The man who is an unprofitable servant, the one-talent man, he is cast into outer darkness. Second Peter 2 and 4, the angels who defected are going to be cast into chains or delivered into chains of darkness. 2 Peter 2.17 speaks of false teachers who are going to be in a in the midst of darkness reserved forever. Jude chapter 1 verse 6 speaks about angels who are going to be reserved in everlasting chains of darkness. And Jude talks about people who are really hypocrites. They're spots in your feasts. They feast with you, but they serve themselves. He said, they're like clouds without water, carried about with winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Jude gets really on a roll here. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Amen. Darkness will be judged Darkness will be dealt with forever. So I just want to say now that I don't want to live in darkness. I don't want to die in darkness. Darkness at every level, spiritually, will be judged and defeated in the end. And if we are to escape the destruction of darkness, we need to defeat the darkness in our own lives. You cannot run from it. You cannot conquer it. You can only deal with darkness by bringing it to the light. Amen. I want to just refer to a verse now, not in my notes. It's in Romans 8 that I just spoke about. Romans 8, 26. For the spirit, you know, it makes intercession for us. There's some things about ourselves that we may not even know. The psalmist said, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins and cleanse me from secret faults. There may be some things that we're not even aware of that are in us. But I believe the Holy Ghost works in us. Jesus Christ in us works in us to convict us. And if you will just say, Lord, I want to come to you today and I want your word and your spirit to shine down in my heart with the light of truth. I want you to shine into the darkest place of my life and cleanse the darkness out of me. I don't want a thought or a deed. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Lord, I want you to cleanse me. Amen. Amen. You've got to bring it to the light. Our text, Matthew 6. The middle chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, single discourse given by Jesus. You'll also find these two verses in Luke 11, same ideas. The context of a passage always matters. So we have two verses, and then you have two verses before and one verse after that are all related to this same idea that we're going to talk about tonight, but I want to address the text first, Matthew 6, 22 and 23. Now, Jesus is not talking about your physical eye, and it's difficult, theologians say it's difficult to draw, it's perfect analogy, because your light, your eye rather, does really not let light into your whole body, so he's talking about something a little broader than your physical eye in this illustration. But here, let's read it. The light of the body is the eye. If your eye is single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Well, we know that the physical eye does allow us to see the world. And typically, where you look, you go, right? Remember, Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He got caught up in whatever it was in this present world that attracted him. We know that the lust of the eyes is one of the three gates that Satan uses to tempt us. You tend to go toward what you focus on. If you're looking there, you'll probably go there. If you look there, you'll probably throw there, right? What you fix your attention on is what you become. And Jesus says, if your eye is evil, and evil is the right word in the original, then your whole body is going to be full of darkness. And if your eye is single, if it is Right. If, you're, if you have a general aim in life that is sincere, that is right, that is toward light, then you're going to walk toward that. You know, you walk in the light as he is in the light. So this word singles, interesting, doesn't sound like it matches, but a couple of different cross references and word studies. It can refer to something that is simple, like a napkin. Robertson and Vincent's word studies and other commentaries say, like a cloth that you've only folded one time. You know, I conduct a lot of elections in different districts, and I always say, please fold your ballot no more than once. Don't make a tiny airplane out of it. So this is the idea that, that Jesus says. It's just something that is simple. It's not complex. If your eye is simply looking toward the goodness of God and trying to do the right thing, then you're going to tend to go that way. So there's a lot of little nuances of these words. It can mean simplicity, right? A, a, a sincerity about your life, if you look at the original word. If your eye is single. Now, I thought of a verse that would talk about a person who lives, with they desire to do the right thing. A general desire. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're never tempted. It just means that generally, you're sincere in your walk with God, and your eye is pure. Your general outlook toward life and living for God is sincere. Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think On these things. That's a good word from Paul, the epistles, to kind of say, what what does this mean for your eye to be single and not evil? Well, have a general desire in life to do what is right and live in the light. If your vision, if your aim in life is fixed on evil, then you're going to go toward evil every time. If your eyes are fixed on the earth and treasures, you know, Paul says we we look not at things that can be seen, but things that cannot be seen. Whatever you focus on determines the aim of your life. So these two verses are telling us that if you have a general desire to do the right thing and make the right choices, And live in the light. Then your life is going to tend. Toward godliness. But if your eye is evil. If your fundamental aim in life. Is wrong. It's going to always be wrong. You can't look. Toward evil. And live toward good. You can't look toward darkness. And live toward light. So. Now I want to back up because there are three little sections here that go together. Matthew eight nineteen. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, guess what? there will your heart be also. Now, I love this verse, and I probably use this verse to help people all the way back to being a youth pastor so many times, because this is just the way it is. Wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart is going to automatically go. Your heart does not have a choice. The choice of will is where you put your treasure. Now, that can be time, talent, but obviously here is talking about finances, but wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart is going to go. But Jesus is teaching this principle, right? If you want to go to heaven, you need to have some treasure in heaven. If you have no treasure in heaven, you will not go there. You cannot live there. It's just impossible. Now in verse 19, Jesus tells us, don't lay not up for yourselves. Treasures on the earth. And he tells us why. Now this verse, verse 19, is not so much like a prohibition. Jesus is not really saying, don't do it. If you do, you're going to be lost and go to hell. He just tells you why you shouldn't lay up an inordinate amount of treasure on the earth. He's saying, look what can happen. Moth and rust can corrupt and thieves can break in and steal In other words, he's saying investments that you make on planet Earth are subject to loss. A June 17 report I read said that this sell-off in what's going on in our country has erased nearly $3 trillion from U.S. retirement accounts. By calculations, one writer said that four hundred and one plan, four hundred and one k plan participants have lost about one point four trillion dollars from their accounts since the end of twenty twenty one. People with IRAs, most of which are four hundred and one k rollovers, have lost two trillion dollars this year. Four hundred and one ks, depending on your risk and diversification, have lost between four and twenty percent so far this year. You can find varying statistics about this. I am not preaching against investing. I'm not preaching about against having retirement. There's a lot of balancing scriptures about saving and giving and spending and other principles in the Bible. But what I am saying is what Jesus said. That whatever you lay up on this earth is subject to a lot of things. Amen. I'm not taking advantage of a down market to depress you or bring darkness into this room. No lighting effects, please. (laughs) Stuff can happen when you invest on earth. Verse 20. But in contrast, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. I believe that when you invest in the kingdom of God, That it only earns interest, it never loses. There's never a downturn in heaven's economy. And whatever you gave on Sunday, and whatever you give every week or twice a month, or whenever you're paid and you return your tithes to the Lord, whatever you do from all of your life, there's never been a lost penny in your account in heaven. And it accrues to an eternal reward. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And according to Jesus, it's gaining something there. Amen. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then Jesus gives us these two verses. And I'm just going to put them on the screen quickly. Matthew 6.22. The light of the body is the eye. And then I want to go all the way right now to 23. Remember, if your eye is evil, if your eye is good. But then I want to go to verse 24. This is the verse after the two verses of our text. So right before our text, Jesus is talking about laying up treasures, right? And right after those two verses in our text about your eye being evil or your eye being pure or single, now Jesus is going to talk about money again or what you do with your life. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is an interesting word. It can mean money or what one trusts in. It's not always used in a negative sense in the Bible. You know, in in the Hebrew or Greek when it's talking about things that people live for. But here's what Jesus said. It is impossible For you to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It is impossible for you to live in darkness and pretend to be in the light. It is impossible for you to lay everything that you have, all of the investments of your life. I'm not talking about money alone on this earth. And and I'm not talking about anyone in this room because that's not you. You're here because you're investing in heaven right now, sitting here, you're investing in heaven. Okay. But you cannot just invest everything on this earth and have a cent of treasure in heaven. It's impossible. Jesus doesn't say that you're not allowed to serve two competing masters. He just says you're not capable of it. That's why if your eye is evil, if you're looking the wrong direction Guess what? There's a magnetic force that will pull you in that direction toward darkness every time. So while you may not have everything figured out in your life, who does? You're not perfect. Neither am I. Jesus is the only one who ever was. What you can get right and what I can get right is every day. I can get up determined to do the right thing, to walk in the light, to live for Jesus Christ and not let my life drift toward darkness and not allow my life to be filled with darkness. Jesus tells us what happens with divided loyalties. Two masters, darkness pulling one way, light pulling the other, sin pulling one way, righteousness pulling the other. The kingdom of Satan pulling one way. The kingdom of God pulling the other. Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to end up hating one and loving the other. Now, there's good news there. Because if you walk in the light, you're going to hate darkness and hate the master called Satan. And you're going to love Jesus Christ. He said, you're going to hold to the one and you're going to despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It is fair to say that you cannot serve God in money. You cannot serve God in this world. You cannot serve God in yourself or your job or another person. He becomes an idol in your life. We are humanly, spiritually incapable of serving two masters. That's why. I believe James would write a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You're trying to do the right thing but you're torn. You got a double mind. It's impossible Jesus said to live that way. You'll end up gravitating toward darkness. There are clear choices in every one of these three examples in Matthew chapter 6. You notice that he says lay up treasures That's an action, right? I think. Action? Lay up treasures. That is not an emotion. I know sometimes people think that we Pentecostals are all about emotionalism and how it feels. Well, I thank God for what I feel. But it is not based on an emotion. It is based on the reality that my name is written in heaven that Jesus Christ delivered me from the power of darkness, translated me into this kingdom of light. Amen. Laying up treasure is a choice. Having an aim in life, my eye, choosing the direction that I go is a choice. Amen. Making sure That I serve Jesus Christ and not the devil. That is a choice that I can make to serve the Lord. Amen. 1 John 1, 5. This is just a related passage about light and darkness. But I felt like it would be a good way to kind of summarize this theme. 1 John 1 and 5. This then is a message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, notice walk in darkness are choices, direction, decisions, lifestyle, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, do the right thing, serve the Lord. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, a couple of things happen. First of all, we have fellowship one with another. We can get along because we're walking in light. We've laid down grudges. We have a forgiving spirit. We've resolved differences. No irreconcilable differences in the body of Christ. It's all put under the blood. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't mind, would you stand right now? Defeating... Darkness is really accomplished by walking in the light, doing what is right, aiming your life toward the nature of Jesus Christ. There are many other ways that you could explain this idea of growing up and being like Jesus. We're talking about light and dark. A couple of things I want to say in closing. Don't pretend to be living in the light while walking in the darkness. John says this, don't lie about it. Then John says to walk in this light. And one way you know that you're walking in the light is if you have fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You're in community. Starting small group Sunday, small group fair, that's a method of trying to help people gather and be strengthened as well as bringing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But beyond a a method or a program or a team that serves at church, fellowship is realizing that that brother and that sister that you love and are able to fellowship with, are going to spend eternity together. And John would write in 1 John that if you say you love God but you hate your brother, you really got it all wrong. You're all messed up, right? A fellowship is a sign of walking in the light. So if there's some forgiveness that you need to give, if there's some apologies that you need to offer, If you're walking in the light, it means to ensure fellowship. And if you walk in light, John says you will have fellowship. And that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then as a a process, I believe beyond this immediate forgiveness is to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's an outgrowth of that forgiveness. Because the act of sin is a demonstration, It's the fruit of unrighteousness in us. But when God forgives us, he also cleanses us of that unrighteous character in us that leads us to do sinful deeds. So we want to walk in light so we can defeat the darkness in our life.